Michael Pettis, great to have you on this call with me. So great to talk to you again, Matt. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, you and I recently came out with a book called Trade Wars Are Class Wars, How Rising Inequality Distorts the Global Economy and Threatens International Peace. Can you explain briefly, you know, why we say that, what that means? Yeah, our basic argument, as you know, is that uh, trade imbalances are not caused by uh, 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 differentials in production or anything like that. Trade imbalances, particularly persistent trade imbalances, are generally caused by savings imbalances. And what we argue in this book is that these savings imbalances are primarily the consequence of distortions in the way income is distributed. So basically, high savings countries or simply countries in which uh, the the sector of the economy most responsible for consumption, which is ordinary households, receives a relatively low share of total income, whereas uh, sectors of the economy that mostly save their income or save all of their income, such as the rich or businesses or governments, receive a disproportionately high share of, of their income. And so what we argue is that when that happens, and, and it, it happens a great deal in, it's, it's been happening a great deal in the last 20, 30 years, uh, when that happens, that causes a couple of problems within the economy. One is um, that uh, these, distortions, these distortions in incomes force up the savings rate well above domestic investment needs. And so something has to be done with those excess savings. In addition, and, and, and this is just the flip side of it, there's, there's no difference between these two statements, it also means the country produces economically far more than it's able to absorb in the form of consumption or investment. Um, if, if, if an economy with this type of problem were closed, we would argue, it would have great difficulty in resolving this domestic imbalance. But in an open economy, what it can do quite easily is simply export the excess savings, and with that, they can export the excess production. We then argue that in the recipient country, you have a replication of the same set of problems because of the import, the forced import of excess savings, you also tend to run problems with income inequality. Um, the, the, the most interesting case could very well be the comparison between the United States and Germany. And I know that's something that you particularly worked on. So why don't you uh, explain that? Thank now? you, Michael. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Germany-U.S. comparison is a really fascinating one, because if you look at what happened in both countries in the 90s and the early 2000s, you can see a lot of similarities. In both countries, you had a tech boom followed by a big tech bust where companies just slash investment spending. You had a period of relatively restrained government spending and tax increases. You had cuts to welfare. You had big increases in inequality in terms of concentration of income and wealth among people at the very top of the distribution in both countries. And yet uh, you had very different outcomes in terms of their trade performance and in terms of uh, overall you know, domestic and external imbalances. And the basic reason is that the in the US, unlike in Germany, you had something, an offsetting force that uh, you know, leaned against what was naturally happening from the changes in government policy and business investment, which was that many, many American households 
dissaved on a massive scale. In other words, they borrowed um, much more against their income and their and their assets than they were before, and then spent that money on goods and services. And that was essentially an unprecedented event in the 2000s with the housing bubble, the housing debt bubble, and that nothing like that happened in Germany. And that really explains the difference. So the question is, why was that something that was possible to happen? And our argument that we make is that there's something unique, relatively unique about the US financial system. You see similar things in, in uh, the UK and Canada, Australia, basically the sort of English speaking advanced economies, which is that the financial system and legal system are very open to foreign investors, very attractive to foreign investors. Um, the property rights are very clear. Investor rights are very strong. You have sophisticated uh, financial institutions. Everyone speaks English, so that makes them relatively accessible. And so anywhere in the world, if there are rich people or, or government entities or what have you that, have, that want to save more than they necessarily can find a productive outlet for that saving, they're going to put it disproportionately in the United States, whether it's a Miami condo or U.S. Treasury bond. And that ends up creating all sorts of um, distortions and effects on the U.S. domestic financial system and ends up altering, as a consequence, the behavior of Americans who respond to those changes in the U.S. financial system in a way that you don't see comparably in Germany or in many other countries. And that is ultimately what led to the housing debt bubble uh, you know, in the 2000s and the trade imbalances as a result. So, Michael, we have a. I think the. Uh, I think. I think the key point there is that this process, which is a dynamic and self-reinforcing process, necessarily worsens income inequality in both the surplus and in the deficit countries, and I think that's one of the key points we try Absolutely. to make. Thank you very much. Thank you.